Jesus asked a very important question in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. He said, who do men say that I am? That is the most important question that you will ever consider. Who do you say that Jesus is? Most religions believe in Jesus. Almost every religion you look at has some form of Jesus in that religion. They use the same words that we use, but they use a different dictionary for what those words mean. So here are what some of the major religions believe about Jesus. Judaism, according to the Talmud and the Toldot, Yashu, they describe Jesus this way. Jesus was Mary's son. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus had many disciples. Jesus was respected. Jesus was a miracle worker. Jesus claimed to be Messiah. Jesus was crucified on the cross. Jesus' followers reported that he rose from the dead. Islam. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus was to be revered. Jesus was a prophet. Islam affirms Jesus, known as Isa or Isa, was one of God's most important prophets. While Muhammad is described as the final prophet from God, he listed the previous prophets and included Jesus in that list. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, but they deny that he was God. Muslims also deny Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus was a miracle worker. Jesus ascended to heaven. Jesus will come again. Um, while Muslims acknowledge the second coming, they maintain that Jesus will return as a Muslim and as a follower of Muhammad, returning to the earth to revive Islam. Ahmadiyya, Jesus may have been born of a virgin, now, why, while members of this relig religious movement believe Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, this belief is not considered an essential requirement of faith. Jesus was a prophet. While members of this religious movement believe Jesus was a prophet, they do not believe that he was God or the Son of God. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus was crucified on the cross. Baha'i, Jesus came from God. Now, the Baha'i faith does, however, place Jesus alongside other messengers from major religious movements, including Abraham, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, and Zoroaster, whoever that is. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus spoke for God. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus had a divine human nature. To be fair, the Bahula also said this was true 
from all of God's manifestations, including himself. So they were all divine in nature. Jesus was a miracle worker. Jesus was crucified and resurrected as an atonement for humanity. Hinduism, Jesus was a holy man. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus is a God. Hindus often worship many gods and goddesses, and some are eager to include Jesus in their list of deities. They don't, however, see Jesus as the only way to God. Instead, some understand Jesus as the perfect example of self-realization, the goal of, of Hindu dharma. Many Hindus see Jesus as a symbol of what humans can attain rather than a true historical person. Buddhism, Jesus was an enlightened man. Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus was a holy man. Jesus was a wise moral teacher. Mormons, according to the LDS teaching, the Mormon Jesus was born as the first spirit child of a probable heavenly mother and heavenly father. This Jesus is a created being. He was not God initially, but earned his way to deity over time. The second spirit child was Lucifer. Both brothers presented their plans to a council of the gods for the future salvation of those on earth. Jesus' plan was accepted while Lucifer took uh, a third of the host of heaven and was cast down. Then came to the rest of us. Men might one day earn godhood. Women bear spirit children throughout the eternities as queens and priestesses to their husbands. You guys are going to have babies for the rest of your lives and eternities. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah as the archangel Michael before the physical world existed, and is a lesser, though mighty, God. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that when men was born on earth, when Jesus was born on earth, he was a mere human and not God in human flesh. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was resurrected spiritually from the dead, but not physically. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the second coming was an invisible spiritual event that occurred in the year 1914. So we missed it. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force of God and not a distinct person. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that humans have an immaterial nature. The soul is simply the life force within a person. At death, that life force leaves the body. And Jehovah's Witnesses believe hell is not a place. It's not a place of eternal suffering, but is rather the common grave of humankind. The wicked are annihilated, snuffed out of conscious existence forever. And so all major religions, or most major religions, acknowledge that there was a Jesus. But the question is, is who do they believe that he was? And it's important that, that that distinction is made. I can remember a time when, when I was standing and speaking to the Mormons that had come to my door, and, and everything they said sounded Christian. 
Their language sounded Christian. And as a young believer, I began to pray and I said, God, I know they're a cult. I know that. So reveal to me, Father, what the difference is between Mormonism and Christianity, to which I felt God speak to my spirit and say, ask them who Jesus is, to which they said, we believe that he is a God, the first of the begotten. And it was like, yes, there it is. The difference between the Christian Jesus and the Mormon Jesus or, or the Buddha Jesus or the Muslim Jesus. It's important that we understand who he is. And we expect that coming from the outside. We expect that coming from the cults. But this is the problem. Unfortunately, that's not the most dangerous influence that are facing Christians today. Within our own ranks, within our own churches, there are false teachings um, that have arisen to deceive hundreds of thousands of would-be Christians. Here are some quotes from some major Christian teachers that if I was to mention the name, most of us would know. We might even listen to some of them. This pastor is the founder of a 24,000-member church. And listen to some of the things that he has spoken. And tell me if you can see a problem. Jesus didn't come as God. He came as a man. He did not come perfect. Realizing how controversial this statement is, he then adds... How many of you know the Bible says God never sleeps nor slumbers? And yet in the book of Mark, we see Jesus asleep in the back of the boat. This ain't no heresy. I'm not some false prophet. I'm just reading this thing to you out of the Bible. So he said Jesus was not God because he slept in the back of a boat. This pastor his next strategy is to elevate man to the status of godhood. I'm going to say to you right now, you are gods with little g. You are gods because you came from God and you are gods. And then he attempted to prove while in a conversation with another well-known pastor that we all have equality with God. In Philippians chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 5. Let this mind, let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So now, what mind, what attitude? Is that you want me to make sure that this same attitude is in me? Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Now, if I'm to take what he said here and to put it on, then my whole attitude now should be that I have equality with God. Now, somebody says, well, it's hard to think that way. Well, just keep saying it. Talk yourself into it. You are equal with God. 
What's the gospel to those who are poor? Prosperity. What's the gospel to those who lack? Prosperity. And if you don't preach it, then you won't be able to do anything about the poverty situation. And in 2015, this pastor asked his congregation to donate $300, or $300 each to his fundraiser. For what, you ask? A $65 million private Gulfstream jet so that he could travel safely and comfortably to spread the word of the gospel. Now, this pastor is a pastor of an 18,000-member church. When God says, I am that I am, he says, I come because whatever. And he showed off from that point on all through the wilderness. He just kept turning into stuff. He kept turning into stuff. They said, we want meat. And so he became quail and started flying through the air. They said, what are we going to do for water? And he became water and, and came gushing out of a rock. They said, we can't drink this bitter water. And so he became a tree and he turned into bitter water. Sweet. I mean, he just kept turning into stuff. One God manifesting in a multiplicity of ways. One God. Now, you don't divide all of those manifestations into different gods. The God of bread, the God of quail, the God of water, the God of tree, the God of cloud, the God of fire. Just one God who manifests himself in many different ways. Your God is multifaceted, manifold, many shades. We too, according to this pastor, can exercise the power of words to get whatever we want. In this story, he's talking about Bartimaeus. But it was not what was in Christ's mouth that got him healed. The power was in Bartimaeus' mouth. He would, have whatever, he would have whatever he said. And Jesus was saying, my hands are tied because I can't do any more than what you say. If the power of life and death is in the tongue and you can have whatever you say and you've been praying and praying and praying and you finally got God's attention and now he's looking at you and saying, what do you want? What do you want? Name it, baby. Name it. Declare it, speak it, confess it. Get out your list now. And instead of teaching that the reason for giving to the Lord is to further the spread of the gospel, he espouses an extremely selfish reason for giving to the Lord. Giving in order to receive more. I want to pray over your seed. And it would be ridiculous for me to pray that God would give it back to you because if all he was going to do was give it back to you, you ought to keep it and let, it just, and let you just have it. If you get $100 or $1,000 and you were going to give $1,000, I tell you what, God is just going to give that $1,000 back. Well, you just broke even. You could have kept that $1,000 and not gone through the trouble. Come on, church. But God is going to give you some more on top of that. 
Now, this pastor is the pastor of a 52,000-seat church. He endorses the give-to-get philosophy. As seen when trying to explain Deuteronomy chapter 14, 26. God is saying you can sow that money for whatever you want. Your job for sheep. That's your covering and your food. How about wine? That symbolizes the fruit of joy and peace. You mean if you need to, if you need some love, you can sow money? Well, that's what it says. Salvation, too, is among the bounty. Salvation is for your family. Is that what you really want to know? That all of your children are saved? To pillow your head at night knowing if Jesus split the eastern sky that your children are all within the ark of safety? Is that what you want? Then sow for it. $50. At the end of one broadcast, he asked some of his followers to sow a gift of $50, stating, I believe God will give you a harvest of protection from deception and from uncommon ability to discern between truth and error in your life. First, God is going to release you the ability to hear and recognize his voice as never before. Second, protection over your decisions. I'm believing with you for one year of no bad choices in your life. Finally, and thirdly, protection from the deception of the adversary. Some of you better get ready to drive around in neighborhoods where you have never been able to afford to live. Some of you better go down to the Lexus and the Mercedes dealership and just sit down in one of those things with that leather all over it. And when they say, what are you doing? Just say, well, I'm, I'm just filling out what my father is going to give me. How's he going to give it to you? Because he's going to, because I'm going to be obedient. I heard a word from a man of God. And when I obey that word, it unleashes that anointing into my life. I'm on my way to the house that I didn't build, full of good things that I didn't have to buy. And then a year after making that estate, that statement, he lamented. Five years ago, the number one request coming into prayer lines across America was to pray for my family and my loved ones that they do not go to hell. The number one request five years ago. It's number eight today. It has been replaced by neck and neck, number one. Pray for my physical body. And number two, pray for my, pro- my financial prosperity. This has become the cry of the church. I found 50 denominations in North America. 50 different denominations in North America that celebrate homosexuality. 50 different denominations, including Methodist, Lutheran, and Presbyterian, all celebrate homosexuality. There are eight churches within 50 miles of Ava, Missouri that celebrate homosexuality. Listen, God does not take lightly to the distortion of his word.
I know 2 John chapter 1, verse 10 says that if anyone comes with any other gospel, to not allow them in your house, it teaches us to close the door, to not even say Godspeed, not to say have a good day, not to give them any sort of parting blessings. And we struggle with that. We say, that's so rude. How These people come to our doors and they're so nice and, and, and we're going to treat them like that. We're going to slam the door in their face. But that's what the Word of God says. That's what it tells us to do. God does not mess around with the distortion of His Word. But you think that was bad? Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 through 5 says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, and serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so that you shall purge the evil from among you. Listen, there is no doubt that God has zero tolerance. He has made that clear in the first and in the second testament. He has zero tolerance for false teachers, for false prophets in the church. And yet many Christians will accept any teaching that is brought to them by someone who claims to be a Christian, regardless of the context of their message. You see, there's no doubt that Satan's, one of fa- Satan's favorite attacks is external. False religions, cults, and those things. But one of his most dangerous is false ter- teachers within the church. False teachers within the body of Christ. And today, Peter is going to address this. And for the next couple of weeks, he is going to address this problem of false teachers. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their... Uh, pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of and though covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you those judgments now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not 
and we'll stop there. But false prophets. You see, Peter's contrasting last week's teaching. Remember last week, Peter had told us that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men that were moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He said the word of God didn't come from man. It wasn't interpreted by man, but it came by God himself who moved upon men, who moved them like a ship with a sail, moved them and and told them what to say and what to write. And then he says, but, but false prophets rose among the people, rose among the people. Now this refers to the children of Israel. You see, when this term was used elsewhere in the Second Testament, it represented Israel. In Matthew 2.4, in Luke 22.66, in Acts 7.17, in Acts 13.17, 26.17, and 26.23. All of those used that term to speak of the children of Israel. So false prophets rose among Israel. This is nothing new. It has been like this throughout the history. The very first false prophet was the serpent. In Genesis 3.1, when he asked Eve, did God really say? He began to distort the word of God from the very beginning of time. And Jesus dealt with false teachers in Luke chapter 11 and verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees, are you so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness? Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? (coughs) So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and to receive respectful greetings as you walk into the marketplace. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk all over them without knowing the corruption that they are stepping on. Then the teacher said, an expert in the religious laws, you have insulted us too in what you just said. Yes, said Jesus, what sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you, for you build monuments of the prophets that your ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you stand as a witness who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God, in his wisdom, said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and prosecute the others. 
as a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law, for you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. You see, Peter knew that this tactic would continue into the church. First, he said that there were false prophets that arose amongst the people. And then he said there will also be false teachers among you. He's speaking to the church. He said, listen, this is going to continue. It's not going to end here. It started in the garden and it will continue until I return. There will be false teachers who come into the church. I had a well-respected minister tell me one time, He said, you need to stop preaching so many negative messages. He said, you need to start preaching more happy sermons. (laughs) Listen, I'm sorry if it seems like I only preach negative messages. I don't pick the topics. I'm so concerned about misteaching God's word that that's why I I preach books at a time. That's why I preach chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Is because I want to keep things in context. And however it falls, that's how it falls. I don't pick the topics. You see, the Bible teaches us that they want to hear, they want their ears to be tickled. They want to have their ears tickled. I realize that people look for teachers who teach only pleasant, positive, prosperity messages. They don't want to hear the hard messages. They want to, don't want to hear Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. They don't want to hear this. They don't want this hard stuff. Just tell me something good. Tell me something that's going to excite me. Tell me something that's going to make me feel good about myself. That's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear the hard stuff. But I feel like it's important to preach it the way that God laid it out. The way that God intended it. Listen, I'm not saying that topical preaching is wrong. But if you do topical preaching, you have to be careful not to take Scripture out of context to meet whatever it is that you're trying to preach. But then Peter goes on to say that they will secretly introduce destructive or damnable heresies. They will secretly introduce. Listen, if false, te- false teachers are never honest. Because if they were honest, nobody would follow them. Can you imagine someone comes in and says, Hello, my name is Tricky Todd. And I am a false teacher. If you'll give me half a chance, I'll convince you that these misrepresented words of God are true. Meanwhile... I'm going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. Not at all what you need to hear. Nobody would follow somebody like that. Nobody would follow anyone that came in and announced that they were a false teacher. And so they come in secretively. They come in quietly and they slip in 
Jude says in verse 4 that certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Crept. That means to sneak in under false pretense. They came in claiming to be a messenger from God, to be a teacher of God's word, to be a pastor of God. And then Peter says that they introduce destructive heresies. Destructive, that means utter ruin. It speaks of eternal damnation. They come in and they introduce eternal damnation with heresies. Their false teaching ultimately leads to eternal consequences for both them and for those who choose to follow them. Heresies. Now, this is the definition that the commentators gave. Heresies is an opinion, especially a self-willed opinion, which is substituted for submission to the power of truth. And it leads to division and the formation of sects. CTS. I, I tried and tried and tried to enunciate that right. CTS, sects. Peter is saying that these false teachers have rejected the truth of God. They've rejected his word and they have replaced it with their own promoting opinions. And because of that, they have sealed their own end. And the gullible followers that listen to them. They're counterfeits. They're fakes. Even denying the master who bought them. How unthinkable, how arrogant is that? You see, Peter is saying that they continually refuse the truth of God's word and they reject his divine authority. The master, we get the word despot from it. Now, although we think negatively of a despot, here it simply means sovereign, ruler, or Lord. Who bought them. Now, the picture here is of a master who purchases a slave and who gives them uh, um, specific chores to do, specific jobs within the home. And because they were bought... Because they are owned by the master, they owe him complete allegiance. And listen, I'm about to say something that's going to sound off, but let me explain. Jesus' death did not pay for all mankind's sins. And what I mean by that is this. Sin will be paid for in one of two ways. We will pay the debt of sin with our own blood, with eternal damnation, or we will pay with the blood of Christ, which is eternal salvation. And so here we have the false prophet, and Peter is saying, listen, he done the unthinkable thing. He is, 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 is denying the master who bought him. 
So it can't be speaking of salvation because this man is, is speaking fallacies. He is teaching pro- falsely. He is not a Christian. He is lost. He has not been bought by the blood of Christ. So what is, G- what is Peter talking about here? You see what Jesus bought for us was a choice. You choose how that debt will be paid. With your own blood or with his. It's a choice that we make. You see, I believe that what Peter is saying is that they deny the master that they claim to belong to. By their very teachings. By their actions. They say that they are a speaker for God and yet they deny him by the very actions and by the words that come out of their mouth. You see, it's the whole fruits agenda. You know them by their fruits. You know who they are by what they do, by what they say. You see, you cannot be a Christian and be contrary to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then Peter says it will bring swift destruction. If they don't repent, their fate is sealed, and it will be swift, and it will be imminent. That's what that word means. And you see, once again, destruction here refers to eternal damnation in hell. And here's the sad part. Peter says that many will follow. Many will follow these false teachers. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And then Jesus goes on to say, In verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. So what will they follow? Now the King James uses the word pernicious. I can honestly say I've never used that word in my life. Had no idea what pernicious was. But some of your translations say sensuality. But they will follow their sensuality. That speaks of habitual sexual immorality. You see, Peter is going to give us a list of things to look for, to recognize a false prophet, because they're going to sound good. They they are going to sound like a believer. But one of the ways we can find them is to look at their life. This is the first sign. Peter says that the first thing that we can find in a false prophet is sexual immorality. How many teachers have been exposed to all sorts of sexual immorality? Homosexuality, rape, child molestation, adultery, pornography, and the list goes on and on. All kinds of sexual 
sins. If they claim to be God's spokesman and they have unrestrained sensuality, unsensuality, it proves that they are a fraud. And then Peter says the way of truth is maligned. The right doctrine, the gospel, the way of truth. But because of false teachers, God's word is maligned. That word means it's blasphemed, it's slandered, it's deframed. And it says they will exploit you. They will exploit you. Because of their greed, they crave as much money as possible. You see, their motivation is not the false doctrine in and of itself. It's not even rebellion against God. It's not even sex that is driving them. But it's money. It's the greed. It's the wealth. They will do anything to get your money. They will do anything to get it out of your wallet and into theirs. Another sign of a false prophet. You see the word false here? We get the English word for plastic. Fake. Not authentic. Now they can make anything plastic and make it look real. So the first two signs that Peter give us this morning is sensuality and greed for false prophets. And I want to close this morning by reading Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to go I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Over the next few weeks, Peter is going to expose false teachers. And what an important subject. What an important subject. I don't ever want you to come in here and listen to me blindly and just always believe that I'm going to preach the truth. You need to make sure. You need to hold me accountable. You need to make sure that what I'm preaching from the Word of God is from the Word of God. It's not my opinion. It's not my own thoughts. But it's exactly what the Word of God teaches us. You hold me accountable. You make sure that I'm preaching the truth. And anywhere you go, you do the same thing. When a teacher stands before you and begins to teach, you make sure that they're preaching the truth. And you watch for the signs. 
You watch for those signs that Peter's going to be teaching us. Would you stand to your feet? And we see that with the apostles. We see that with Paul in his teachings, in, our, in the teachings of Thessalonians that we're studying on Wednesday night. And Paul says, my greatest fear is that, that false teachers are going to come in and that everything we've done is going to be in vain. Everything we taught you is going to be in vain because you're going to follow a lie. Listen, learn the truth. Peter has just gone through a couple of weeks of telling us how important the Word of God is and how important it is that you learn the Word of God, that you study the Word of God and you put the Word of God in your heart because false teachers are out there and they want to devour you. They want to eat you alive. Father, we thank you for this Word. And God, what a sovereign Word it is. What a a powerful Word it is, God. And help us to understand the importance, God, of recognizing false teachings, of recognizing, God, those things that, that come against your word. And God, I pray for the protection of your people today. God, I pray that as they listen to the other teachings, as they listen to my teachings, God, that they are always on guard. Not that they listen with suspicion, but God, but they listen uh, with the concern that the Word is being taught truly and completely and fully. Without apology, God, I pray that you always give me the boldness, God, to preach your Word, no matter what it is, whether it's popular or whether it's unpopular. God, you know my heart. God, you know that I understand the importance of preaching the word as you intended it. And God, that's my heart. And now, Father, as we conclude this service, I pray you go with us today. I pray you give us rest on this day of rest. And God, that you bring us back once again to study, to understand, and to apply your word to our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.